what I've wanted to do in my lifetime, I've been blessed to do, which is to create the most amount of change in my lifetime. And running for public office is just another extension of Tikkun Alum, the ways in which I can repair the world. Stay tuned to hear more from Amy Blank, a Democratic candidate for delegate in Baltimore County, Maryland. Hello, and welcome to Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we have been interviewing politicians, activists, advocates, and others since 2016 with the intention of ennobling public service, creating a platform for positive civil discourse, and facilitating dialogue with difference. This show is the antidote for those who are tired of hearing about what's going wrong with the world. We showcase people just like you who are working to leave the world better than they found it. And that's good news. And now a word from former President John F. Kennedy with his views on public service. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I'll remind you that this show is made possible by viewers like you. If you appreciate what we're doing here at Public Interest Podcast and enjoy this episode, please contribute $1 at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. We are here today with Amy Blank, Democratic candidate for delegate in District 11 in Baltimore County, Maryland. Amy is a former director of volunteers for Hillary, Obama, O'Malley, and Mikulski's campaigns in Maryland. Amy is a former strategist for Maryland Marriage Equality and a communications professional. She's a government and public affairs professional with work that she's previously done for the Baltimore Jewish Council, Advocates and Children for Youth, and Planned Parenthood. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing fabulous. And you? I'm doing well. The first question I'd like to pose to you is, what are you currently doing, or what have you ever done to advance the public interest, and why? Well, all of my adult life has been um, trying to create um, change for individuals to make their lives better. Um, starting off with Mikulski's U.S. Senate race, I've always believed if you've got good people with good hearts and good minds in public office, half the work is already done. And then as a lobbyist, I built coalition after coalition, working on the most pressing issues of our time so that we could bring all of the um, constituency groups to the table to work out what the issues are and to better address the root causes of the problems that people were challenged with. So I spent an entire adult life on trying to create social change movements, not just here in Maryland and nationally, but I also did it overseas when I was with the um, Institute for Policy Studies at Johns Hopkins. I trained nonprofit leaders in emerging democracies how to create social change movements. And I worked in the African nations um, uh, with the Center for Communication Programs, which is out of the Blumberg School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins. There, I was working on Gachacha, which were their community tribunals for the genocide that they had. And my responsibility there was to inspire detainees who had committed crimes against humanity to confess their crimes. As well, I was building coalitions of women's organizations so that we would um, have more women running for judgeships um, to fulfill these uh, gachacha tribunals. And as it turns out, Rwanda now has the most number of women elected officials in all of the African nations. So uh, the Kinshasa was part of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission? 
Well, they didn't call it Truth and Reconciliation. That was South Africa. So um, in essence, yes, it, it served in the same manner. Um, Gachacha were just what they called their um, community tribunal. How did you manage someone from uh, the United States uh, go over to Rwanda uh, and go up to individuals who had taken machetes and killed people in 1994 as part of the Rwandan genocide and encourage them to confess? How, what sort of communications strategies did you have to employ uh, in that sort of environment? Well, it was very holistic and um, very collaborative. So I worked for the Minister of Justice, and I was working with the uh, top sociologists, psychologists, and anthropologists in the country. And I would share with them the strategies that we used in the United States, and they would transfer those concepts into their own cultures and their own um, styles of communication. So, for instance, I worked with the top playwright um, who was doing a traveling play around the country to uh, inspire individuals to start um, testifying, and I helped edit his play. I worked on the law itself um, as a, you know, policymaker, um, looking at the policy that they were creating and how that would uh, translate to a variety of constituent groups, those that were um, the perpetrators, those that were the victims, um, those that were simply witnesses, um, how children could participate in that process. So we came up with a speakers bureau so that we could use, take um, representatives of all affected parties that would literally travel around the country um, in order to create a safe environment for people to feel comfortable enough to share their stories whether they were the victims or the perpetrators, um, in a way in which um, no, no additional violence would take place or emotional abuse could um, surface. Uh, and so there were a multitude of strategies that we used uh, in, the, in the natural communications and cultural uh, traditions of the Rwandan people. Now, you've spoken about how you've uh, worked to create more women judges on the Kachacha, uh panels uh, in Rwanda. You've also created a campaign academy as part of your current uh, campaign for the state legislature in Maryland. Would you speak about uh, any similarities or how this concept of the campaign academy has evolved and how it's played out uh, in increasing diversity, activism, and engagement uh, within your district in Maryland. Thank you for asking. So after I had left lobbying, I became um, the co-director of the University of Maryland College Park Scholars Advocates for Children program. That's a living learning program in College Park. And my job was to uh, create the core class on child advocacy for the 90 students I had every year for six years. And so what was a it was beautiful to be able to teach and train and, more importantly, engage and inspire the next generation of social and political entrepreneurs how to create social change movements for children. And, um, you know, it's so great to see the fruit of your labor when you're, um, you find out that now one of your volunteers is running the – or one of your students is running um, the Tobacco-Free Kids campaign in Washington, D.C., 
and another intern of yours is now a state delegate. So um, I really saw how investing in our next generation were the new change agents that were going to follow us. So I wanted to use our campaign teaching high school and college students that work collaboratively together um, the classic grassroots um, techniques using the most latest technologies literally on their iPhones. So we teach them phone banking and canvassing and messaging, but they're doing it in their own language and in their own social media and uh, communication strategies that they use every day. So these students are focusing on their own age group, 17 and a half to 23, um, coming up with their own communications based upon the issues of importance to them. Their issues are very different than my generation or even your generation. And they need to feel empowered and engaged and trained, right, to use all these modalities in order to inspire and engage their generation to be well-informed um, and active voters. And, of course, in early 2018, we've witnessed uh, a culmination of years of mass shootings uh, in, in uh, a, a display of student activism uh, without parallel in the current generation, perhaps uh, uh, calling back memories of, of the Vietnam era uh, with the Parkland school shooting survivors uh, in Florida who created the March for Our Lives in Washington, D.C., uh, perhaps the greatest showing, as I said, of, child, uh, of youth activism uh, in this generation. Would you speak about how uh, how uh, youth, the issues of guns or, or the, the the demonstrations of child activism uh, most recently, I guess, resonates with those 17 to 23 year olds that you've been training, or if there are any or if there are any other issues uh, that are more top of mind for those individuals? Well, you're absolutely right. I happen to uh, have lived in part through the Vietnam War. I might have been young. But um, I was very personally affected by the Vietnam veterans that came back from war because my mother started the first methadone clinic uh, in this country, and it was housed in Boulder, Colorado, where I lived until I was 14 years old. So my mother's clients also um, were my babysitters, and I saw their struggles, um, and I have yet to see in this lifetime the outcry um, of the younger generation literally taking over and creating the political conversation and more importantly the political change and so I went to that march with my daughter and her friends and to look out as far as you could see with people as young, you know, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, sprinkled with their um, adult loved ones, and the power of that moment. I want to harness and be able to teach every one of those people in every single sibling um, demonstration around the world how to now create the change they want to see in the world and be the change they want to see in the world. And that's why we birthed, birthed the Campaign Academy. So it doesn't really matter what the issue is at hand. 
whether sadly it is gun control, which we uh, desperately need to address, or if it's um, Internet uh, access, right, um, or if, God forbid, we be addressing public education right now, which is in a crisis in and of itself, or the environment, climate change. Every single issue is their issue. It's their issue now because they're personally affected, they're in schools, they're living on our planet, they're victims of those shootings, or they're living in total fear. You know, they're the first generation because of 9-11 that have lived with the threat of terrorism on our own soil. The very first generation who have completely lived their entire generation in fear. So... uh so I wanted so on the topic of of these seventeen to twenty three year olds these these teenagers, you began your own path of activism uh, as a teenager uh, at the same age as, as these individuals who are now in your academy. You were appointed by then Governor Paris Glendening to the Rosewood Advisory Board Committee, uh, which eventually recommended its closure uh, much later, uh, decades after you were on that committee, uh, and and you began. Uh, you, you began your process of becoming a citizen activist uh, because your brother Danny has Down syndrome. Would you speak about your path of, of that originally led you into uh, citizen activism? Yes, thank you. I started, believe it or not, at five years old when my brother Danny was born with Down syndrome. And in those days, sadly, they used to put on incubators, do not feed, or they would place their loved ones in an institution like Rosewood and forget they ever had them. Thankfully, my parents wanted for Danny what they wanted for the rest of my siblings and I, which was for all of us to be happy and healthy, independent and prosperous. And so my parents went on to start creating community-based services in Maryland, such as Gallagher Services. And I, at 19, was appointed by the governor to be in the White House Conference on Families during the Carter administration as the youngest delegate on the East Coast to the conference. And so as they were building community-based services, I was doing the advocacy not only in Maryland but nationally. So my brother now, and for the past 30 years, has lived independently in a group home. He has worked at supportive employment for 30 years. He's still on the same bowling league for 30 years, and lately he has been paying his own way on the Disney cruises to Bermuda and to um, the Caribbean. And the point of all that is that a collected coalition, right, of families like ours, of self-advocates like my brother, of the advocacy community for the developmentally disabled, and the agencies both state and local, have all come together along with every single taxpayer, right? And we've created the beautiful life my brother has. And so as I have grown up with my brother and these issues and all these families and the advocates, um, I've come to be the person that I am today and do the work that I have done. It's not what I do. It's simply who I am. And taking that further... Um, that's why I became a lobbyist for children and families um, to further that goal. And you became a lobbyist for children and families and the Baltimore Jewish Council and Planned Parenthood. You've been quite involved uh, in political circles in Maryland over the past few decades. What was it about 
this election cycle that inspires you to transition from being uh, an activist and, and an advocate to being an active candidate for elected office? Well, the truth is, all the time that I have worked in public service, I've been a public servant. I've already represented these families in Annapolis without their knowledge or their blessings. But I've always wanted to serve them as a representative. But I never wanted to do so until I had become a parent and I had walked in those shoes. You know, when you create policies for people that affect their daily lives, you know, we make decisions based upon those who can love and marry one another, the medical um, services that they will get, the schools that they will attend, the education that they will have, the jobs that they can access. We literally create policies and programs about every aspect of everyone's life, most of the time without their knowledge or their input. And so I wanted to walk in as many shoes as I could before I really, I made those decisions on other people's lives for whom I may never know. So my daughter's now 17, and I wanted to make sure that not only she could um, appreciate the journey, but join me as well, and her friends as well. So that's why I've waited as long as I have. But then after that election, right, when... um, for me, as a Democrat, losing the White House, losing Congress, and possibly losing the Supreme Court, I realized the only recourse we had for protecting decades of progress that we all had made was through our state legislatures. And as you know, in Maryland, it's never about Maryland. But you know what? It's all about Maryland. All eyes are always on us. We were the ones that got Obama elected because we brought in Pennsylvania and Virginia. We were the ones that passed the first referendum on marriage equality when the Supreme Court picked it up uh, on the DOMA case, and the rest is history, and my daughter's godfathers are now married. We're the ones that have created all the public policies and programs that have been always on the cutting edge, whether it was gun safety, um, whether it was um, school education, Uh, how we have treated our developmentally disabled children and adults. So Maryland has been on the forefront, not just politically, you know, electing Barbara Mikulski as the first woman senator elected on her own right, um, to the policies and programs that not only have passed in Maryland, but on the national level and have been adopted by Congress later on. So I take that very seriously, especially after this election, when it's not a shoe that drops on our head every day. It's like a cleat. And we need to address these dire daily issues with the brightest people that we can bring together through the democratic process, which is an election, and bring us all together to now work collectively for a better life for ourselves our children, our grandchildren. So that's why I'm running now, because now is the time that we need people with the greatest experience, the greatest hearts, and the greatest minds working together on the greatest causes of our lifetime. Now, Amy, you speak about Maryland being on the cutting edge uh, nationally with reference to uh, legislation in the state legislature. Would you speak about some of your ideas to make to place Maryland further out on the cutting edge. You uh, write on your campaign website about 
using venture capital from pension funds to invest in, quote, Maryland graduates. Would you elaborate upon your proposal uh, and also what you're interested in doing with Internet access? Yes. So my dad happened to have been the brainchild of um, deferred compensation in this country. So growing up at the dinner table, I very much understood what it meant to my dad to create the American dream for all families, those individuals who worked so hard throughout their adult years and could uh, retire with a pension that would give them the money to not only enjoy their last years of life with their loved ones, but have the security um, and the peace of mind uh, to really address their own personal issues and their own dreams for that, those golden years. And so um, at the time that I addressed this issue, our labor unions were being um, squeezed by being asked to put in more of their hard-earned dollars um, into their own pensions. And the pension fund was not growing exponentially as it should. And there wasn't going to be the money for the pensioners later on. So I had come up with the idea, along with um, other venture capitalists, to use 2% of our pension funds to invest in venture capital um, in high-tech entrepreneurial uh, programs and initiatives, keep the money in Maryland so that not only would we grow the pension fund, right, by good investments, but those investments would be growing jobs and our economy and securing our communities where those businesses were housed. So it was a win-win situation for everyone, from the future pensioners and the existing um, uh, pensioners to have a stable uh, pension system, to be able to grow our economy with the latest um, uh, technologies and initiatives, and to keep our bright students coming out of how um, out of the University of Maryland and UNBC and uh, Hopkins and Towson and even the community colleges, keeping them here in Maryland and having the economic support that they needed to bring their ideas to the marketplace. And that has been extremely successful. A previous guest on Public Interest Podcast, Maryland State Treasurer Nancy Kopp, spoke about how she... uh, the role of the treasurer in Maryland is to invest uh, state employee pension funds uh, in Wall Street to just to to to, to grow the funds through uh, the through private investments of those public funds. How is the role of treasurer and what the current treasurer does with Maryland's pension funds different from what you're proposing? It's all the same. It's just diversifying our um, portfolios of investment. And by the way, I worked with Nancy Kopp for many, many years in the Maryland General Assembly, and you don't get a brighter, uh, more innovative and visionary uh, treasure as you do with Nancy Kopp. So we're very blessed in Maryland to have people like Nancy that have the vision um, and the intellect to be able to take our pension funds among the many things that she does for our state. and uh, invest those properly um, and to the best uh, and to our best abilities and our foresight in order to um, take care of our pensioners and our and our citizens. Are there any risks that such an investment plan might pose to the pension fund? You mentioned that there's not enough money right now 
uh, in the state of Maryland that has been allocated to fulfill the promises made to pensioners, um, is there any possibility uh, that the 2% of the fund that you would use as venture capital might invest in companies that fail? You know, some do, like many bonds do and um, stocks do. Everything can be uh, volatile, especially under our current administration, both state and national. But um, we have seen a greater um, a rate of growth in investments in, through venture capital than any other um, marketplaces that we've invested in in the, pi- in the past. So when I looked at this 20 years ago, the investment uh, or the um, return was up to 30%, astronomical. So the benefits that you get from using the pension fund to invest in Maryland, in Maryland businesses, in Maryland's own community is far greater, in my opinion, than just investing on Wall Street. Um, we are approaching the end of this podcast episode, Amy, uh, and as we do so, I'd like to ask you a final two-part question, which is to reflect upon your motivations uh, for service uh, throughout your life, whether it be in suburban Baltimore or uh, the, the center of, uh, of Rwanda uh, in, in Africa. I'd like to ask you to reflect on why you've been motivated to engage in public service, and secondly, what you hope will be uh, your impact and your legacy at the end of your career. Wow. Well, thank you for such a thoughtful question. Um, in our tradition, uh, uh, we have a word called tikkun alum. And tikkun alum means to, um, to repair the world. And my grandmother uh, and my parents, um, in many, many ways, really instilled that in me. And so for my whole life, that is what I've sought to do, um, whether it was just with family and friends um, or in my political life um, and, uh, and spiritual life, I have tried to create the most amount of change in my lifetime. And um, if you look through it from the um, changing the face of politics, the candidates that I've been blessed uh, to work on their campaigns, those historic campaigns and those historic causes, um, you know, we're all stones that we throw in the water. And the ripple effects that we can make can be felt on many shores. And I have been blessed in my lifetime to not only create change in my community, and in my state and in my country, but throughout the world in other democracies um, and even countries that didn't have democracies. And so what I've wanted to do in my lifetime, I've been blessed to do, which is to create the most amount of change in my lifetime. And running for public office is just another extension of Tikkun Alum, the ways in which I can repair the world. And that has been Amy Blank, Democratic candidate for delegate in Maryland and former director of volunteers for a variety of national campaigns, a uh, political strategist, communications professional, government and public affairs professional, who speaks about uh, herself and other public servants as individuals with good hearts and minds. She speaks about public service as not something that she does, but it's who she is. Uh, and then 
uh, references a uh, common uh, theme on Public Interest Podcast, which is a Jewish concept of tikkun olam, to repair the world, and her her uh, her efforts to create positive change in this world. So, Amy, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com, iTunes, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And please join the conversation by calling 240-630-0380 or emailing engage at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.